With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Happy uh, we are... We have a break from from the stress that is football week, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was officially done with football by the time the uh, final whistle blew last Saturday. I don't know about you, but uh, I was, uh, I, was, I, was I, ready, I was I was ready to go. <laughs> I think I was pretty much midway through the first through the probably second quarter. <laughs> um, I actually turned off the game. I like couldn't I couldn't bring myself to do it, and I hate doing that. I don't like to be that guy, but it was it was really depressing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, I was too busy, you know, getting into Twitter altercations with people, but that's, we won't talk about that. Yeah, if I didn't have, like, a job where I had to, like, watch the other games that actually mattered, I would maybe be uh, more, like, uh, you know, open to sitting through it and, you know, and and stressing myself out over a game that we were clearly not going to win from the jump, but... I was like, you know what? Uh, there are many more important things going on in the college football world right now, and me like lending my attention to that just did not seem like it had any kind of payoff. Yeah, I again cannot blame you there one bit. Um, I've been writing about the the season kind of is a bit of a post mortem and what went right, what went wrong. I know a lot of others have as well. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get an answer on this defense. Uh, I really wish we would, though. And maybe if it's not now, maybe if it's not next year. At some point, I want to know what the hell happened. Uh, because I, I think that's really what's lingering for everybody. Is that, you know, the Dungey injury was just kind of expected, even if it came in a different way than we expected. Um, I, I think that the defensive collapse was not something that really was on anybody's radar. And between that and the Clemson game, and, and all these things kind of coming together, I think is what has created so much unrest um, amongst the fan base, if I had to guess. Yeah, I mean, if we had just finished 4-8 and eight as we did, but things kind of kept on looking like they did against Miami and NC State and those other games, I think it would have been one thing. You said, you know, we got really lucky. We probably should have won another game or two, but, like, every game was close. Um it would still have sucked, but it wouldn't have sucked like this because it almost it, the last three games really made it seem like we had been doing something with uh, like it had been kind of smoke and mirrors with the defense, especially. And um, I mean, maybe that's the case. I, it what what happened in those last three games screamed coaches figured out something. And I don't, I'm not, you know, good enough at breaking down film or or uh, reading defensive coverages to figure it out. But something that started with Wake. Um, and then continued the last two games. And granted, like, you know, all those teams uh, have talent. Uh, Wake's, you know, a really solid team. Lamar Jackson played for Louisville. BC's been really good against a lot of people, so it wasn't like they were just beating us. Um, but something with three very different teams, too, uh, they all identified a, a critical weakness, and I think depth's a part of it. Um, I think our lack of big plays on defense is a huge part of it. We had been talking about the lack of turnovers that we had been creating. I mean, I think they forced four in ACC play total, one of which... One of which was uh, was on special teams, and one of which was Eric Dungy stripping uh, a defender after he had been either picked off or fumbled. Yeah, so it's, 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 really, it's, it's a take back. Yeah, we really created two turnovers on defense in the entirety of the ACC play, which is not not going to work. I mean, if you look at um, you know we bring up Bill C a lot, and I know you know the S and P uh, ratings are, are what they are, but if you look at the, the five factors that create those ratings, that are like the five basically the bed the bedrock of what makes a good college football team. Um, it, it really tells you all you need to know uh, about what this team struggled with. Uh, efficiency, um, we clearly were not an efficient offense. 
Defense, we were for a bit. It fell off. Explosiveness, we didn't really do either well. Like, we could hit some deep pass plays when Dungey was in, but after that, um, that kind of dried up. The running game got better as the year went along, but it wasn't enough to make up for the lack of Dungey. And on defense, we still give up big plays in a pretty high mark, and we didn't make them. We didn't force turnovers. Uh, we didn't, you know, create opportunities for our offense. Um, field position, um, our return game was good for a while, and we didn't get many big plays from from Sean Riley after the first half of the season, and our punting game was good uh, pretty much all year, so no real complaints there. That was probably the only the only side of that that was, you know, pretty good. And then finishing drives obviously has been an issue for years. Um, so, like, those those, uh, those factors, like, you could argue that out of, like, if you take all five factors and divide it up, you know, five on offense, five on defense, we were, like, probably good-ish on one and maybe, like, passable on another. <laughs> but it, none of them was, like, a... a uh, strength, and that's a problem. You need to have, at least have some strengths in there. Um, so those are pretty telling. I think uh, you know you could argue against advanced stats, but like though, if those are the five things that go into a winning college football team, according to at least Bill C, who I think is very bright and knows what he's talking about, Syracuse's weaknesses kind of lend to that uh, to that uh, talking those talking points. Yeah, I, I think that that puts it as nicely and as informatively as possible about why this didn't work out. Um... Again, it's not to belabor this season or anything like that. I think what we're trying to do on the site, at least, is kind of help us pivot to next season and, you know, I think conservative optimism, perhaps. But, yeah, like I mentioned, if there's one thing that that I would like more information on from somebody, and I know we're not going to get it from Dino Babers because he's just a very close-to-the-vest type guy, um, we're not going to get an answer on this defense necessarily. I think it does raise a lot of questions about what exactly was found out the thing is, like, if if BC had had, like, a very mobile quarterback, like, Darius Wade can run, but not to the extent that um, Lamar Jackson can or John Wolford can, like, if, if we had seen, like, a third straight mobile quarterback just tear us apart and all that um, in that game, I would have said, okay, the answer is mobile quarterback. But, like, that's not what beat us in, in the game against BC. Against BC... Um, receivers were wide open. There was a good, you know, 10-yard cushion right in the middle of the field for any receiver, especially the tight end. Um, A.J. Dillon literally did whatever the hell he wanted, um, and so did anyone else who ran the ball. Um, I, I just don't know if there was anything, I mean, and again, like I can reference Julian maybe who might be able to shed a little more light, but I don't necessarily, from what I've seen from him, it doesn't necessarily seem the key knows exactly what it is either and, and that's not a knock on him that's just a testament to like how how oddly and completely this defense kind of collapsed um in a way that if we had seen this all year i would have it, it would have made more sense but because we didn't see it for so long this season it's strange that that with not really much on the personnel side changing um from like week eight or nine until the collapse against wake like what the hell happened yeah and that's what makes me think that there was something identified on the defensive side offensive side it's very easy to figure out what happened dungey got hurt <laughs> like and and unfortunately that's not a great sign right. um hopefully he can finally make it through 12 games and and the one thing i will say is where we're you know all but certain that it was concussions the last couple of years this wasn't a concussion this was like another injury um just like a normal injury people sustain so hopefully well, normal if you aren't you know, if your number isn't called 15 to 20 times a game. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like a thing that will necessarily be like a lingering issue. Right. Um, he had surgery, apparently. Uh, I think we found that out today, right? Um, uh, late last night. Well, okay. today, your time, last night, my time. I saw him yeah. tweet it at like 10 p.m. my time last night. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, so very late. Uh, I, was, I wasn't already asleep, but I didn't see it. Um, but yeah, so hopefully that means he'll return, and hopefully we get uh, at least another majority of a season, and hopefully Tommy DeVito is ready to go. And honestly, Rex Culpepper I thought looked pretty good. Um, eight, you know, he averaged eight yards at uh, an attempt. Like that's not bad. He threw for two touchdowns. Um, the problem is he didn't get a lot of help. Uh, the running game was again like better, but like the, the the defense just never put us in a position where we were going to uh, to have a shot. Um, thank God for Steve Ishmael uh, who bailed us out. But I, I thought Culpepper was okay. Um, obviously not going to, I don't think he's going to be competing for, uh, the starting job next year. That's going to be Dungy's to lose. Um, and obviously, uh, we're going to be probably grooming DeVito and hopefully he'll, he can get some time, uh, next year that, you know, isn't, uh, isn't because Dungy's hurt. 
Yeah, um, let's make with the blowout wins. That way we can get yeah, that'd be nice. some rest. And, and next year's schedule should be more uh, should be more well set up for that. Um, yeah, so there's a little more, more of a is well, I guess it depends on how the ACC schedule shakes out, but there's a little bit more of a warm up. I do feel like we get to ease into things a little bit in the first three games. Um, we eased into things a little bit this year, but obviously, you know, facing your former defensive coordinator, oh, former defensive coordinator and head coach, um, in a game where he seemed hell bent on winning, definitely doesn't help matters. Um, but in general, yeah, I think Culpepper, Culpepper actually, like, I know I wrote the piece about Mahoney's weird legacy, and, and, and that's something that, like, was several years in the making. I think a lot of people kind of breezed right by him um, once we had DeVito on board. Um, then a lot of folks saw him in action and saw that, like, you know, he wasn't necessarily, you know, that crisp or, or, or fluid, but he did have better arm strength than Mahoney. Um, his accuracy seemed to get better, um, you know, comparatively from the Louisville game. Um, to the BC game, but obviously he didn't have like an amazing performance. He still ended up, you know, with one of the better freshman passing totals in uh, school history, which is weird. Um, granted, you know, freshmen didn't play until about the 1970s, but yeah, he didn't. He still threw for over 500 yards this year. Threw for 280 against BC. Um, some of that in garbage time, but nonetheless, like everyone is so focused on like what Eric Dungy did as a true freshman, they forget like that's a very atypical thing, especially for a three-star guy, um, to be able to just show up and you know really electrify a team and a crowd and all that. Um, I think Culpepper, while, we might, while it would have been great to have a lot more from him just you know to help us compete at the same level we do with Dungy, um, it's unrealistic to think that a, a freshman is really going to be able to step in and, and deliver that kind of... Uh, that kind of performance, especially given what the defense was really not helping us with either. Yeah, I mean, if you told me when we were still playing, like, pretty well that Dungey would be out for the final game of the year, and this is, you know, also when BC looked more mediocre, um, that Dungey would be out for the BC game, but Culpepper would throw for 280 and two touchdowns, we'd run for almost five yards of carry, I would probably tell you that we would have a very good chance of winning that game. Yeah. Um, the problem, there were just a lot of drives that didn't go anywhere, uh, so some of those, and obviously Ishmael were you know, accounted for way more than half of his passing yards, which isn't like the super sustainable, but I'm not going to knock him for what was his first start and uh, first bid performance. And, and with Mahoney, um, obviously he didn't play in this game. Um, you know, he was a walk-on quarterback. Not every walk-on quarterback is Baker Mayfield. Um, he, I think he'll go down, remembered you know, pretty well, all things considered. It wasn't like we ever really expected him to be a, you know, focal point of this program. But overall, like uh, I, I think Mahoney's probably a guy who became uh, easier to uh, prepare for when you knew he was going to be the guy. Versus like he came in when he comes in, in the middle of games, he's like such a change of pace from like pretty much anyone else. He's a, such a unique player. Um, I think that probably accounted for his struggles uh, against Louisville. Yeah, I definitely buy that. I think that you know once the script was kind of written on Mahoney, um, everyone kind of figured him out. Um, it still doesn't explain, you know, how the, the the half-to-half change against Wake or the, like, you know, random game against Pitt last year that still that goes down as one of the weirdest, like, statistical outputs or feats by any player at, on any college football team uh, because I, I still don't understand exactly how it happened, and, and I, I would bet that if you replayed that game, you know, 100 times that it would never happen again. But um, nonetheless... I, the quarterback situation probably gets a little bit better next year, if only because I think we have, you know, the use of both um, Culpepper and DeVito. If something were to happen to Dungy, I feel like I feel like at this point we have enough notes on what not to do with Dungy that hopefully those are considered and followed um, a little bit more closely. But um, as we saw this year, you know, it was another year of saying Dungy would run less. Dungy ran even more. Um, he ran, he was our leading rusher. He had almost 600 yards of, off, of, uh, of yard. Well, you know, had almost 1600 yards on the ground was definitely, um, you know, a driving force of this, this run, running game. But to be honest, like I did feel like when he wasn't running as much that the run game was actually better in a lot of ways. Um, I know Mo Neal, you know, second straight year, he averaged over five yards a carry, um, 
when he was given consistent carries and consistent runs, uh, whether it was up the middle or around the end, he really did seem to, to excel. Um, and I hope that we see, and I mentioned this in the running, in the running back uh, kind of postmortem article on Thursday. I hope that he gets more burn, you know, Dante Strickland, whether he stays at running back or not. Like when we started using him more to his skill set, I feel like we got a lot more out of him as well. Um, I just think we have capable backs um, on the team right now. We have, a couple coming in for 2018. I'd like to see us be able to to rely more on a traditional running game, and then you know, Dungey becomes a in, in case of emergency break glass option, um, and one where he's probably a little bit more um, effective, especially as a passer, where he kind of backslid a little bit. Um, though I wouldn't necessarily pin that all on him. Yeah, I think if you can take away one positive of the last couple of weeks, it is the Mo Neal slash the running game. I think Mo. Um, definitely showed even more so than I thought he would, like be, the ability to, to read his holes and, and run between the tackles more so than earlier in the year and last year when he was kind of just like, you know, your big play uh, back that you hope would break one out, but otherwise he wasn't doing much. Like Mo just had really good runs up like on normal running plays. Um, he was getting, you know, nice chunks of yardage and it wasn't all just big, big hitters. So uh, I'm interested to see what the dynamic is next year with the running game uh, and the offensive line. I thought I thought played a lot better the last couple of weeks. Um, it's it's almost ironic that it was like the biggest problem of for the first half of the year, but we won some games. And then the offensive line play. I mean, we've been saying since Clemson, like the second half of the year, the offensive line played a lot better, at least to, to my eye. Obviously, there were still issues. It wasn't great, but it was it was pretty pretty decent. So hopefully that that transfers forward. I th- I think it will. I think we got a lot of a lot of big game reps for guys who probably weren't even slated to start next year um so as we said coming into this year um hopefully without you know we don't get derailed by injuries right off right uh right out of the gate like we did this season um but that is a positive i, I and and you shouldn't like undersell that because that should be something that that uh moves forward um assuming that tennessee doesn't end up hiring dino babers because they can't get anyone <laughs> which at this point like if you are dino babers why would you want the job that nobody else wants oh that that job's just super toxic yeah. um like it's, it's yeah it's that was mostly really I don't bad. think we're actually going to get a look because <laughs> I think Tennessee fans are out for like legitimate blood and while like I mean I, even the Syracuse fan base like not everyone's thrilled with what's gone on uh you know some for these reasons some for not but I think uh I think we can pretty we can pretty safely say that you know because we won four games two years in a row uh we are probably going to have our coach next year uh fingers crossed <laughs> yeah it sounds about right um, while we're still here in the first half of the, the podcast, the football half, for those of you who'd like to fast forward to the basketball side of things, I don't know why you would want to, but that's a thing some of you do. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of know why they want to. <laughs> I mean, I guess I kind of know why they want to, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> Dan, before we move on to basketball, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about 2018 schedule? Um, I know I had that article up on Thursday, today, um, just kind of going through, um, all 12 opponents, maybe some like very preemptive, you know, odds of victory. Um, were there anything that stuck out to you as incredibly wrong in there? I know a couple of people thought I was a little too high on certain games. Um, are there games that you would maybe be more bullish on than I was? I'm looking through now. Uh, I mean, at BC, like it's, we, who knows what BC is going to be next year. They could build on this season, but they have done this a couple times and haven't really built on it. So they could also backslide. Um, I feel like uh, Adazio is kind of uh, destined to be on the hot seat his entire tenure. Um, That's fine. And he won't be for this year because he's had a really nice turnaround and kind of developed somewhat of an offensive identity down the stretch, uh, which was pretty similar to the offensive identity they had when they were successful a couple years ago versus like earlier this year when they were trying to run like a hurry-up spread type thing. Um, So 55% at BC might be a little high based on what we've seen this year. Yeah. FSU at twenty five percent. I mean, who knows what Florida State's any? I mean, it's I, it's just so impossible to tell what Florida State will be next year. Um, they should be talented because Jimbo Fisher has been recruiting like crazy there for for four years. But they are about to lose their coach, uh, as every indication uh, seems to to give uh, that Jimbo's going to run to Texas A and M. Such a dumb move. It's dumb. I, I it's it's one of those things where like. I've almost come around to, like, things must be so toxic there for him at this point that he has to do it because he is not going uh, quietly either. Like, their recruiting class is getting decimated. They've had, like, four or five decommitments um, in the last couple of days. Uh, it's really ugly there. Um, 
And I feel like if things weren't so bad, but he still thought he might want to leave, and he's also about apparently the reported contract like seven point five million a year, so yeah. that's a lot. Um, it just seems like things are really tough there. So now if they go hire Willie Taggart, I think they'll probably be pretty good right away again. Um, I don't know. I'm not super sold that he'll go jump there. I mean, it makes sense for him. But Oregon has resources. Sure. So it, it's just tough to, to tell what that'll be. I think 25% uh, at home in Florida State, considering it was a close game this year, and the Syracuse will hopefully be better next year. I think that's probably fair. Um, everything else, I mean, I, I can't really argue with it. UNC is going to be in a rebuild, but they should improve. Um we do get them at home, I think, right? Yeah, and I mean, you can't get worse than they were this year. Yeah, and then Wake should take a step back. I think Wake was pretty senior-laden. Um, John Walford is gone after uh, five or six years, and uh, uh, Cam Serene is gone after uh, 12 years, and uh, I think there are a couple other guys, big players, that are they're on, on their way out. So, um, yeah, no, I thought your estimations were pretty good overall. Um, just make a bowl, please. <laughs> like, please, please do that. I, I don't think any program can kind of sustain, um, you know, this long of a drought. And and and, and we, we talked about this, you know, for several weeks now. It's Babers in some ways is paying for the sins of previous regimes. Um, he, he's basically paying for the sins of the Schaefer regime, but then also the sins of the, the Robinson regime. It was just this, when you look at the last, you know, decade plus and see just how how little opportunities the programs had in the postseason, it all just kind of becomes this, this boulder rolling downhill. And while Babers might get to, even if he gets to five and seven next year, people are going to be very aggravated, um, even if the, the product is better once again, if the defense doesn't fall apart, if Dungey stays healthy. Like, Granted, if, all the, if those two things happen alone, I feel like we should be able to make a bowl, but um, it's a tough league. Um, we're in a tough spot, obviously, as a program, always have been. We just have happened to outperform um, at a time when it happened to like lodge in people's consciousness, if you look at the current fan base and age-wise, that there's just a, a perception that what happened in the late 80s to, uh, through the late 90s is just something that should happen versus something that can potentially happen. Um, and obviously there's been a lot more dynamics that have changed college football and, and geography and, and, you know, local economy since then, uh, which could be its own podcast, obviously. So um, I, I'm optimistic, once again, that we can make a bowl, but um, it's non-negotiable that those first three games um, are wins against uh, Western Michigan, Wagner, and uh, UConn, and then we'll see from there. I, I think, uh, again... There's there's enough change at our peer programs and institutions that I, I think we can we, we can get it done. But there's going to be an entire off season to talk about that um, as we kind of look at the recruiting class and and who leaves um, other schools and, and and who changes coaches and and you know the like. So I'm not again I, I I'm always happy to talk about the the next year's schedule and all that. But I don't necessarily need to go down the rabbit hole so far. Um, as to start really kind of diving into the the, the nitty gritty of, of what could happen to SU next year, especially when in like eight months we're going to do a full probably hour and twenty minute podcast on it. As always, <laughs> um, for the I think it would be sixth straight year at this point. Assuming we're all still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some days uh, it looks more likely than others. <laughs> I think I think I would put us at a solid like ninety two percent chance of all being here next year. All right. I feel like that's a pretty. I don't just mean me and you. I think the world. The world. I think yeah, we're yeah. like ninety-two. No, the, pretty, the, that's what I'm saying. Good. Man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think ninety-two is fair for right now. Um, all right. You know, why don't we do a little early halftime? Because I know everyone's, you know, chomping at the bit for us to talk about basketball here. Works for me. Um, I'm pulling up my tap now. I don't think I had, like, that much unique stuff. I was in my hometown where there's, you know, not... And I didn't do, like, the beer bars there, unfortunately, uh, all week. So the one really notable thing I hadn't had before uh, this weekend was I got a growler of uh, Crazy Daisy, which is a Belgian triple from the Farmhouse Brewery brewery up in Owego, New York, um, Mm. which was really good. Um, Apparently, I haven't been to that brewery, but uh, they do a lot of, like, cool stuff with, like, locally sourced... Uh, fruits and vegetables to make some really interesting brews that I really want to try with like stuff that you would not expect to be have you know beer made walk from, uh, but that's what I ended up getting. Um, and it was I mean it was a really really good triple, uh, really fully flavored. Um, so I would definitely recommend that if you're in the 
uh, in that area of upstate, which I imagine at least someone is listening to this. Yeah. Um, and then last night I was at uh, Tremercy Theater, and I wasn't going to drink, but then I saw they had some goofy um, Iron Maiden brand beer that I hadn't had, and it was not very good, but I drank it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I would recommend that, but... It was there, and I hadn't had it before, so I felt like uh, I was doing my due diligence. And uh, so that that was pretty much my full report. Uh, everything else was, like, pretty standard stuff that I don't need to tell anyone about. That's fair, man. Yeah, I, uh, I do feel like the holidays, you know, you might start off optimistically, like, I'm going to try all this stuff. And then you realize, like, it's the holidays, it's Thanksgiving, all I really want to do is just, like, have a couple beers with my meal so that I don't spoil dinner, but also partake in some merriment at the same time yeah i didn't have a chance to go actually beer shopping and my town has like a couple of beer bars but they weren't ones we ended up going to when everyone went out so it was just not it didn't make itself into a, a good beer weekend um hopefully uh i should be going to some things this weekend though so i will i will try to do better fair enough fair enough yeah i uh i planned to eh, actually i don't know how much i'm gonna drink this weekend we'll see things that i drank i didn't drink like a huge variety um my parents in the middle of nowhere in north carolina as i've mentioned so like my access to things is kind of minimal but did get a couple um choice selections and some jade ipa from foothills always a a favorite of mine had some westbrook goza uh, which never gets old Um, had some deep river uh pumpkin pie porter uh, which was actually pretty good it wasn't overly pumpkiny or sugary it was just kind of like the right balance um there was hanging around uh new Bern, which is actually was the capital of north carolina at one point um and no longer is but it's a cool little city um and they have some cool beer bars a couple of breweries had uh from gizmo brew works had black hop down it was a black ipa had from brewery 99 had a configurant was their uh english ipa um, and then over at the Brown Pelican, I had a uh, Foothills Carolina Blonde, which uh, you can find pretty much everywhere in the Carolinas. Um, and that was really it. Just finished off my six packs of uh, Westbrook Goza and Jade for the rest of my stay in North Carolina. So basketball, because again, that's why everybody's really here. Um, we're looking all right, Dan. I mean, I don't think anything's necessarily changed since the last time we spoke um, in terms of what this team's fundamentally, fundamentally doing, but um, the Maryland game was a lot of fun. Uh, it was also terrifying, but we beat a pretty good power conference team um, to get to 6-0. and We faced Kansas on Saturday. Um, I don't think we're going to win that game, but as I you know, kind of explained in our like one of just the, the overview articles we have for, the, for our matchup with the Jayhawks. Um, a loss isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world if we look respectable doing it. Um, no matter what, it's definitely going to you know boost our strength of schedule. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect us to beat Kansas. Kansas is really good. Um, overall, like, I, I'm pretty thrilled with what, what we've seen so far. Like, I really am. Uh, I did not have super high expectations uh, heading into the year. I thought this was a real rebuild year. We, we talked about this in our basketball preview. Like, I was looking for individual things and, and and places to, like, see growth and, you know, hopefully we'd flirt with a tournament bid. I'm pretty sure this is a tournament team right now. Obviously, yeah. things to change. We haven't been tested super, um, you know, a ton, but Maryland's not a bad team. I think Maryland will be, you know, I think they're a very much a peer team this year, and they'll be right around the middle of the pack in the Big Ten. Um... I mean, I think Oakland should be really good. We blew them out. Toledo looks pretty good for, for what they are. We, you know, it wasn't a blowout, but we beat them. Um, Texas Southern is usually a tournament team. We beat them by 13. So, like, these aren't, like, you know, things you're going crazy over. But beating Maryland, even at home, um, in a crazy game when they shot the lights out and we could not shoot a three for our lives, which is continues to be a, a thing. Um, scary. Thing. I mean, I, yeah, it's a scary thing. But, like, I just, that's just not this team this year. Um I've been very impressed. Uh, the rebounding, I mean, this is probably the best rebounding Syracuse team in, I, I can't even, I maybe since 2012? I don't, I don't even remember how good that team was, rebounding-wise. I know we had big guys who could do it. I don't remember how, the, how it was as a whole. I don't think it was um, this good, if only because, like, I think the variance here is what helps the most. That there's yeah, so not, many guys, guys who can do it. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Howard's a good rebounding point guard. Uh, Brissette's a great rebounding wing. Dolezal is a much better rebounder than you would think for his, you know, frame. Uh, Sadibe and Chukwu are combining for, uh, I think, a little over 10 a game. Uh, and they're basically, you know, if you treat them as a unit, like the center position has been very good for us this year. Um, I think I'm looking at their numbers now. As a, as a, as a tandem, they're averaging around, like, 12 points and uh, a little over 10 rebounds and... Uh, actually like a steal and a half and four and a half blocks per game, basically. Um, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, neither one can shoot a free throw at all, which is not, not great. But they're also, I mean, I'm, I think we've seen more offense out of both of them individually too. Like Chukwu was not ever going to be like a force, but he can, he, he, he'll uh, finish a lob. He'll get the ball inside and be able to do a something with it. Um, he's probably more better offensively than we expected. We thought he would just be, you know, Lots some shots, hopefully grab some rebounds, use your fouls. Uh, Sadibi has been very good. Um, I mean, the one guy who hasn't really shown a lot yet is Matt Moyer, but he's active. Uh, Beheim's starting him for a reason. I do wonder if uh, Dolezal ends up taking that starting job at some point, although we know that Beheim likes to have his energy guys off the bench, and we know that Beheim doesn't generally mix up his starting lineup, although he has shown some uh, willingness to do it uh, in the last couple of years. Um, but overall, I mean... If we if if the numbers look like they are now and battles flirting with twenty points a game and you get you know if you have two legitimate double digit threats in uh, Howard who has been just been getting better by the game um, and looks like a completely different player this year and Brissette is great um, like no complaints about him aside from you know I think his shooting will get better as Beheim said he's not going to shoot thirty three percent from the floor all year uh, he gets good looks um, I mean that's just I. I very, very happy with what we've seen so far. Uh, hopefully Kansas doesn't put, like, a total uh, deadening on, on what that looks like. Um, you know, hopefully we keep it close. But overall, I think you have to be pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like this team is is better. Like, I've seen a lot of comparisons right away to kind of that, like, you know, oh, well, 2012 to, like, 2014 stretch where defense was our calling card. We had nobody that could really shoot the ball um, except for, like, you know, spot things here and there by cj fair tyler ennis whatever here i feel like we do have right now like i wasn't expecting to be able to bank on frank howard as a scorer this early um but i definitely view him as the kind of you know complement to battle who is i think also playing better than we thought he would be able to play i mean he's we thought he was a, a potential lottery guy um going into the season and i think he absolutely um has has proven that and more uh, so between the two of them alone, I, I feel more confident um, in the shooters on this team than I did in any of those, uh, you know, 2012, 2014 teams. That includes even Trevor Cooney at the height of his powers. Um, so I, I really like the fact that, you know, everybody seems to have a role on this team. Like even Moyer, a guy who's only playing about 18 minutes a game, like he seems like he's he's got a motor. He's able to, you know, make an impact on the boards. Um, he's shown some things defensively, even if he's not really much of an offensive threat just yet, and he'll have to be by the end of his career. Um, he, he is showing something in, in, in you know small spurts. I think guys like Sidibe and, and Dolzai, guys that we thought that maybe would play a little more sparingly, are contributing uh, more so in more minutes than we we uh, we kind of banked on. Um, so you know, a, a big big loss to Kansas could derail some of that. I think that. You know, some of these younger guys and even Frank Howard um, definitely get by on confidence and definitely get by on um, just kind of the, the fact that Bayheim is exhibiting the, the faith that's needed for them to be able to go out there and learn on the fly and all that. Um, so, again, hopefully Candace doesn't put uh, the type of hurting on us that could potentially derail that progress going forward. But I, I do think um, this will be an interesting test for, you know, the size we have. Um, while Kansas is a little bit short on the bench front, um, they do have, you know, five players who score in double digits. They have a lot of NBA talent on their roster. Um, again, depth is an issue, but other than that, like, I I think that they have enough players to beat us on the floor just because of how well they're shooting, um, this year. And obviously if you hit your shots, then you don't have to worry about, um, what's been a very, very good, uh, rebounding team in Syracuse. Yeah, it is interesting because Kansas has essentially been playing small ball. Um, and, and like you said, depth hasn't really been a thing. They're playing uh, six guys over 25 minutes a game. Uh, five guys are averaging at least 13 points. Like, they, they their rotations are very tight. Um, very kind of, kind of Beheim-esque, to be honest. 
Um, but yeah, they shoot the ball uh, quite well. They're shooting 45% from three as a team. They have two guys shooting 50%. Um, but three, if you get Mitch Lightfoot, but he's you know only playing 16 minutes a game. Um, they're basically a, a small ball team. Um, they're going to have some size because you know they are Kansas. They are recruiting at a high level. Um, but it's a, it's it's definitely a different look Jayhawk team. Um, I do think the the difference will be. I mean, if Kansas doesn't shoot well, then that could open things up. Um, I don't expect that because they've shot well all year. But if Syracuse's size can bother them, I think it will be interesting. Um, now that being said, you know Kansas is a top ranked team for a reason. So, uh, and I'm not I'm not going to uh, go predict for predict any uh, crazy upsets here. But um, it wouldn't shock me if Syracuse is able to keep it like relatively close, considering I don't know if we have a spread yet, but the difference between the what the two teams look like coming into the year. Yeah, I mean. Kansas is just too talented to really. I think they're right now. They think they're too talented to get upset by us. Um, that's not a knock on Syracuse. That's not to say Kansas is going to win at all. But it's to say that Kansas might be the best team on our schedule, um, depending on how you view UNC and Duke. They just have they have the right mix of size, um, despite as you mentioned the small ball uh, play, size, great shooting, um, it, veteran leadership. Like this is something that. Usually don't see a ton of from you know teams stacked with with whether it's lottery picks or just a lot of top tier and blue chip talent. Like Kansas has been able to retain talent and been able to to really stock itself with um, a, a nice mix of experience from internally and as well as uh, you know transfers over these last few years. So I think that you know Kansas. You look at what they did, and while you don't want to believe in the transitive property. You look at what they've done against the same opponents we faced, uh, teams like Oakland, Toledo, and they've really, really like taken it to them. Um, that, to me, is probably a bad sign for us. I just don't know if we're going to be able to play at um, a level of of efficiency that, that we're going to need to beat a team like Kansas that can put up you know 80 to 90 points a game, and we just can't hit that number. Yeah, I, I think we'll probably want to uh, slow things down. I don't know. We're, we're a weird offensive team. We're, we're not uh, built really well for the half court, but uh, I don't think we want to get in a in a super running match with, with Kansas, especially you know if they have guys trailing the play and knocking it into threes like uh, Horder did a number, a number of times uh, the other night. Um, I do wonder if we try to make things a little more deliberate and kind of drive the team into the mud a little bit. Um, That'd be nice. Yeah, so Maybe. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to bet on Syracuse to, to win this game at all. I, I do hope that uh, it isn't like a total laugher because I think that would probably take away from, you know, the excitement a little bit. And I, you know, if, if we keep this one within, you know, 10 to 12 points, I think that would be a pretty good performance for Syracuse. Now, I wouldn't be shocked if if Kansas blew us out given their talent. But um, I, guess, I'm, I guess we'll see. Both, both teams, you know, it's very early in the year, so you, you really don't know what you're getting quite yet. Um with the Syracuse team, especially because they they are so young, and and if anything, I'm excited to see how how some of the the young guys step up. I think we we all feel pretty good about Brissett. He's uh, you know played 40 minutes the other night, I think. Um, so you kind of know that he's you know ready to, to be a full time you know huge part of this team. Um, clearly, the second or third best player. Can we get like a similar? Uh, can we can we see something from Adolazai or a Sidibe who and you know just see like okay this guy can definitely play big minutes in huge games like this especially for when we get down to ACC play when obviously we'll have Duke and UNC and Notre Dame to, to uh, contend with. Right, I mean we're rarely this young, so it's hard for us to find like a Syracuse comparison. But sometimes you do see young teams that get off to a hot start against poor opponents. Sometimes those younger guys get derailed because of just the length of season, the difficulty of opponents, physicality of the college game compared to most of the high school games. But, I mean, at the same time, a lot of these better recruits and a lot of our guys, you know, have been playing in the AAU circuit and have been playing against top uh, talents and recruits. And no, it's not a complete, you know, completely analogous to the college game, but there's a lot of... These players are better prepared for the, for the, the rigors of the college game. Um, you know, now more than they were probably, you know, 20, 30 years ago um, before the AAU circuit got started and the sneaker circuit and all the other things that, hey, might not even exist in a year. Who really knows, um, given the FBI investigation that is ongoing um, and not something we have to talk about here because I think that nothing's really changed fundamentally as of yet. 
Um, so Dan, can, can I can I kind of mark you down for what? I think a fifteen point loss, ten point loss. What are we talking here? I'll go twelve. I'm going to be slightly optimistic. I'll go. I'll go. Kansas, I'm just throwing a random number out there. Under Kansas 82, Syracuse 70. All right. And I, I'll think it'll be, we'll, we'll hang around, we'll be like in the 8-9 to nine point mark in and out for like most of the second half, and then I think Kansas will probably pull away at the end. I buy that concept. I'm going to say Kansas 85, Syracuse... 71? That sounds... Fair enough. Fair enough. I just think, like, they're a better shooting team than Maryland is. And we, yes, allowed, Mar- yeah, we allowed Maryland to score 70 points on us. Yeah. Uh, th- definitely concerning. And, and I think a lot of that... I don't think, think we played poor defense. I think the yeah. defense is actually pretty good. They just knocked down a lot of shots that we're going to usually give teams. Um, and most of it was harder. And I think I tweeted within the first, like, team minutes of that game. Like, he's going to have a big game. We all know this. He's a good player to start with. He has He's from up here. He's from upstate. He's not really the two that got away. We didn't really have a choice. We kind of handled it the way we had to. Um, but, like, there was no doubt in my mind he was going to have a big game. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, we let him have a big game. We were able to kind of lock down everybody else. Um, that's not going to be an option here, um, given the, you know, kind of varied – uh, scoring threats that this team has. You know, I mentioned in the uh, in the kind of brief kind of TV and history overview preview thing, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, five players scoring double digits. Uh, Malik Newman's the lowest of those at 13 and a half. And then, uh, did we decide how we're going to pronounce his name here? Do we have, oh, a, pronunci- do we have a pronunciation guide on the uh, on the European import? The Mikhailuk? Yeah, him. He's been there for a while. He's like one of those. He's weird because he. I think he got to Kansas at at sixteen, so he's a twenty year old senior. He's like the the anti college basketball player. Interesting. He's a senior. He's a fourth year player for them. He is younger than I'd say a good chunk of the top freshmen. Huh. College basketball is fun. It is. It's fun. <laughs> it's weird. But yeah, he uh, he scores eighteen point two points per game. Uh, he's also the player I fear the most here because he uh, he shoots fifty six percent from three. Um, and not only, it's not like he's just somebody just like, you know, chipping in a couple. I mean, he's 22 at 39. He's shot more threes than anybody else on the team. Uh, that's a scary player. Um, obviously you can't beat the zone just by shooting threes, but if you're going to shoot them that well, maybe you can. Um, he's also sits eight, which is not great. Uh, when you have a sits eight sharpshooter, you can get away with shooting over the zone a little bit. Um, we'd much rather deal with like a sits foot point guard, uh, rather than a, you know, a pretty long wing. Right. But yeah, looking up and down like this starting lineup, it's definitely, uh, you're going to fear all these guys. The one thing that maybe, and I have to see, I have to look at the foul numbers. You could hope somebody gets into foul trouble because there's really nowhere to go um, if they do. I mean, maybe Mitch Lightfoot, maybe Marcus Garrett, but in general, um, there's not really, there's nowhere to go if they have to go past like the top six in this lineup. So, um, Syracuse doesn't have a ton of depth either, so you know playing a foul type game is never really going to to be an advantage for us. But if maybe if uh, you know we start seeing some whistles go uh, the opposite way, perhaps um, you know th- that's really the one opening for Syracuse that I'm seeing. Yeah, I'm looking at now. Uh, Graham doesn't foul very much. Uh, not, I mean, doesn't look like any of them really get in a ton of foul trouble. Uh, Lagerald Vick, who's a super athletic wing. Um, maybe him. He he has like two point two a game, but like, not and and uh, Udoko uh, Azabuki or um, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's at around two something too. So yeah, no, these guys are pretty good about not getting into foul trouble, which they need because like Garrett might play play a bit. Um, I mean, Garrett plays like twenty five points a game, uh, twenty five minutes a game. He's just not uh, you know as big a. He's not a, he's he's not, not the only guy good. in that like twenty five plus minute a game. Uh, area that isn't averaging 13 plus points so the the five guys that they have like you know who their scorers are so if they're going like long stretches with Garrett or, or Lightfoot um it takes away uh some of their like overall scoring depth but it doesn't really look like any of their big five getting a ton of foul trouble which is good for them I mean this is a really interesting team it doesn't look like your normal Kansas team 
Um, they have a pretty diverse set of talents. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm just, I haven't seen them play a ton yet this year. I saw part of that Kentucky game. Um, so, beyond even the Syracuse thing, I think this will be a, a, an interesting team to watch just as a, a general college basketball fan. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so, I guess looking, I don't want to look too far ahead, but just looking at, do you think that, that how we play against Kansas will tell you how we're going to play against UConn the following Tuesday? Or do you think that, that we can potentially rebound from a loss to Kansas no matter how wide um, and beat a Connecticut team that struggled to beat Columbia the other night? We should beat a UConn team that struggled to beat Columbia the other night. Um, I won't say that we know enough about this team yet to like just pencil it in because we've had a couple of games against UConn teams that we should have beaten recently that we didn't. Um, now, you know, UConn really, like, if not for Christian Vital having probably, his, I'm guessing, what it was his best game of his career, um, they would have lost to Columbia at home. Columbia is not a great basketball team by any stretch. They're like a middling Ivy League team, I think. I think they uh, would I think have, like, one win. Okay. Maybe not even. <laughs> um, I don't know who they've played. Um, probably no So, one. yeah, UConn's 5-2. and two. They haven't been, like, super impressive getting there. They beat Oregon. Uh, they beat Oregon, which was which was good. Um, and then they got handled by Michigan State, which you expect. And then they lost by about 40 to Arkansas. I don't know that Arkansas is going to be that good this year. So uh, I don't know what that all means. Uh, they beat Colgate by 12. They beat Sony Brook by 8. So, um, I mean, it, it's tough uh, to really know because Michigan State is great. I'm not going to give them too much trap for a 20-point loss to them. Right. Um, Arkansas by... I like it was 102 to 67, uh, and then Columbia they won by four in overtime. Uh, those, are, those are not good performances. So hopefully we can, uh, if we do lose handily to Kansas, we can uh, rebound and uh, you know get a big win at MSG. I sh- will be there, I believe. I need to figure that out. I don't have tickets yet, but I don't know why I wouldn't be there. Press pass. Um, <laughs> oh, I should, probably too late for that. I should. I didn't even think about that. Um, I should have done that earlier in the year. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I, that's another thing I think we can look forward to if this is a bad Kansas game and, you know, Kansas is great. So I'm not gonna, I I think we should probably avoid like super hot takes if we lose by a lot. Um, but seeing how a team that this young without, that hasn't faced real adversity yet on the court, uh, rebounds against, you know, a pretty talented UConn team, I think will be, uh, something to, to really see, especially when we get to those like crazy, uh, stupid ACC turnarounds if they hand points about every year. Um, it could be a, a you know decent measure of, of how we might handle those. Yeah, I, I would love that. And looking at Columbia's schedule here, um, there's a reason they're one and five, but there's also not. Uh, <laughs> they're one and five. Their one win is against who is this? Who is, who is this? Long. Team? Is that Long? Yeah, I, it's not Long Beach. No, it's Longwood Lancers. Who are Longwood? Are, are they even Longwood's what D two? Uh, it seems like they're in the Big South. As long as they're only they're only zero two, how's that possible? Uh, yeah, I don't really know. Um, it seems they're two and five. Oh, they were zero keep... two at the time. Okay, yeah. they were zero two when they played Columbia. Right. Um, they're two and five. They're in the bit. They are. They are in the Big South. Somehow, I don't. I couldn't tell you where they are. What they're. What they're I'll look whole, it up while you're going. Yeah, what their whole thing is. Um, but yeah, they've lost to Villanova. Uh, they lost to Penn State. Uh, they lost to UConn. Um, Army, which, okay, now we're getting a little debatable. And then they lost to Colgate. So if you lost to Colgate, I'm not really too confident in your program. Um, that's not to, to hate on our, our one-time rival too much, but it's to say that Colgate is not really that good. Longwood University is in Farmville, Virginia, which oh. is like... A place. Central, like dead, literally like the, the dead center of Virginia. Even more middle of nowhere than like Blacksburg. Directly between Lynchburg and Richmond. Hmm. Um, the more you know. I'm going to look up how where the nearest uh, the nearest Denny's is, just in case we ever play them. <laughs> Actually, we would never play them on the road, but ever. Not not even a, not even a just a slight possibility. I but now that was the first thing that popped in my head when oh it's like an hour away. Yeah, we're definitely never playing them. Yeah, it's right. in Richmond. How do you have a closer Denny's in Richmond? Huh. Linwood, what are you doing? Um, anyway. So yeah, now everyone knows who the Linwood Lancers are. You are now fully aware of Columbia's uh, schedule so far. Um, they face all the other teams you would expect them to face. 
Albany, Quinnipiac, Stony Brook, Navy. Uh, they face Boston College, which how come we never face Ivy teams anymore other than Cornell? Or is it just because we face Cornell, we just don't want to like face the entire Ivy League? Because we haven't. I looked the other day; we haven't faced Dartmouth since like '52. Um, it's probably that the Ivy in general, like unless you're playing Harvard in recent years or like those couple years of Cornell, like you're you're probably driving your RPI pretty far down. Right. Um, I will say I was really I was extra rooting for Columbia the other night because Columbia is the nearest uh, D1 college basketball program to me right now. I live about not even a mile from there, so I would have I would have probably gone and gotten a hat or something. You just go to you just become a Columbia season ticket holder. Yes, I'll start the Columbia SB Nation site. Honestly, like, I've thought about it a couple <laughs> times. Like, when I was in San Francisco, I thought about, like, stumping hard for USF. Um, not not the Bulls, but the, the, the Dons. The Dons. Shout out to, uh, who went there? Will Chamberlain? Uh, no. No. One uh, of the, a huge Oh, it was, uh, was it, no, it wasn't Oscar either. Bill Russell? Was it Russell? I think it was Russell. We're, we're very good basketball Yes, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Russell. I'm almost positive. It was, I mean, admittedly, that was like super before our time. Yeah, I mean, this is back when they were good. Yeah, it was Bill Russell. He went to San Francisco from 53 to 56. Yeah, and they made like two Final Fours. Yep. I think they won a title. Yeah. I think they might have won two titles. Yeah, he won two. 55 and 56. How about that? At the time, you realize that the University of San Francisco has more NCAA championships than you. Shh. <laughs> Damn you, Keith fucking smart. They are, they are, the, they are Tyler Olander University. Way to go. Um, Shout it, out to we take the stairs. It, it, it all comes full circle. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I thought about like stumping for them until like the tickets are like not cheap and they weren't like when I was there either, like when San Francisco was at least like mildly livable um, if you made like less than $100,000 a year. Um, but yeah, like it was not easy. I never went to a game because they were super expensive. Um, Why? What, how does it make any sense? Just because, like, they're just like small Catholic school, and they just decide they want to charge like fifty dollars a game. And like, I wasn't going to that crap. Do they like? Do people go? Apparently. <laughs> like, there's something to be said to like you know filling the arena and selling some pretzels. Like, I, mean, I guess. I mean, the thing is though, like everybody, everybody that goes to school, like goes to the games apparently okay so that makes sense but you would think i don't know yeah i'm not gonna, i don't know why we're we're thinking so hard about university of san francisco's strategies in terms of filling their arena but still it's a little weird to me because i'm pretty sure most of those tiny schools you can kind of just go for like 10 bucks usually yeah although you know what no another school that is the same deal like and they're they're in the same conference i think so i suppose it makes sense um lmu same deal like, Maybe this the weird small uh, Christian schools. Yeah, like Maybe. I tried because, like, I was when I used to work up there all the time. I was literally like less than a mile away from the arena, and it was like seventy five dollars to get in the door. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, Loyola. I get like when Loyola was storing like a million points a game back in the nineties. Um, but yeah, that is weird to me. I would have never thought of that. I'm, I wonder if like, I wonder how much it would be to go to a Columbia game. I don't even know where Columbia would play. Yeah, I, I assume it's somewhere on campus. I have no idea like where on that campus it would be, though. I mean, they play football there, too, somehow. Yeah, but I think that's... I, I don't know. Where, I don't know where, where is that? <laughs> I don't know. There's no there's no football field uh, in Morningside Heights, I, I can assure you. I think they actually play in the Bronx. I think there's a field in the Bronx they go up to. They, go to, they play at Fordham? I don't think they play at Fordham. This is, this is such a, a niche thing that no one listening to this is going to care about. It's actually kind of amazing. Yeah, Columbia University Baker Athletics Complex is in... Uh, oh, it looks it's like it's... Robert Kraft Field. Oh, screw you guys. Is it really? Well, no, the football field is. Oh, it's not in the Bronx. It's at the. It's just... Uh, it's all the way up uh, in... in uh, all the way up in Inwood. Like, all, basically on uh, right by the Bronx Hill, uh, the Spite and Devil creek uh that separates the bronze from manhattan it's like as far north into manhattan as you can go um so that's interesting it's not really all that near the campus <laughs> no although i mean it's still in manhattan it is in manhattan it's in uptown manhattan but it's like a solid 100 blocks from columbia university but i guess that's i mean where else would you put it i, I don't there's no one near columbia where you could have it it's a pretty you know dense area yeah, and they play basketball at levian gymnasium is that probably closer 
to maybe Google decided not to give me a map on this one, but they gave me a map on the uh, on the football stadium that's named for Bob Kraft. So did Bob Kraft go to Columbia? I guess he probably right. I mean, he has money. That that kind of makes sense, I guess. Hmm. Uh, yeah, this isn't telling me where where Columbia plays basketball either. Yeah, I mean, the mystery. They... Maybe they don't. Maybe they 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 just they sent like a random five people up to UConn to play, and this, that's how it turned out. It, uh, it doubles as their volleyball. It's only a twenty five hundred seater. It says it's in New York City. I mean, obviously, it's probably on campus somewhere. With twenty five hundred seats, it should just be you know stuck somewhere on that campus. But I, I don't know. I haven't really been inside any of the buildings, so. Um, I couldn't tell you. Nice campus, though. Yeah. Also, Bob Kraft oh. went to Columbia and Harvard. Of course, he did. Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay, uh, yeah, it's basically it's like on the on like the northern part of Columbia's campus. Um, yeah, so probably not even a mile. It's like probably three quarters of a mile from me. There you go. There's your there's your team to stump for. I uh, said I, I could pick. I could also try to stump hard for the uh, the 49ers down in uh, Long Beach. If I, if I wanted to drive to Long Beach and hit up uh, Beachwood Brewing afterward. There you go. We're, this has been John and Dan Adopt, <laughs> completely irrelevant college basketball teams, even though we have a pretty relevant one to root for already. We do, but you know what? I mean, we have... We need to find, like, what's our other team on this podcast for basketball season, because during football season, we have one that, like, everybody knows about <laughs> and that is directly responsible for the, the return of the angry wave. Uh, all right, I, I actually agree. I think I think we do need a pet college basketball team because like we don't really talk about Tulane basketball, yeah. nor should we. Nor should anyone. Um, yeah, um, yeah. We'll see. We'll we'll keep track. We'll see how Columbia does. If they had beaten UConn, it would like it would have been on. It wouldn't even be a thing. Yeah, I think let's let, let's keep an eye because there's so many more options for us, like hyper locally. Yes, I mean, I Fordham's not far from me. Uh, LAU Brooklyn would be a fun one. Like, LAU Brooklyn's super fun. I don't know if they're going to be good this year, but for that, like, stretch when they kept to make in the tournament, those games look so much fun to go to. What are they, the and Ravens, the Blackbirds? Cool. Yeah, the Blackbirds, which is a cool, yeah. like, different mascot. That's where they had the... Uh, I've been to the gym now a couple times because of the uh, the tournament, which is where they played. True. I, uh... Pretty nice, nice little arena. Now, this reminds me of my idea. I might have mentioned on the podcast. I know we're just, like, rambling at this point, but whatever. Uh... Reminds me of when I mentioned, I think I mentioned, again, I think I mentioned on the podcast where I was going to, like, just insert myself as, like, uh, the South Bay Lakers uh, beat writer. Just, like, start, like, showing up to games and just tell them, like, I was going to be press row whether or not they had one. Because the South Bay Lakers play at, um, they play in El Segundo, like, really close to me. Um, but I found out it's, like, more expensive to get into a South Bay Lakers game than it is to get into an LA Lakers game right now. 20 bucks a tick it's 20 bucks a seat if you want season tickets which doesn't make any sense for a d-league team yeah kind of silly but you know if again maybe it's long beach maybe it ends up being lmu um i can actually get into ucla games for cheaper than i can get to lmu games it's just then i need to get all the way over to ucla and as as you may have heard it's not easy to get into or out of the uh the westwood area on game day just because of where uh, UCLA is located and where Pauly's located. It's not really fun. Isn't that just like all of LA? Well, yeah, but like this part in <laughs> particular, like because Pauly's also like in the middle of UCLA's campus, like at least like for, like, you know you're going to deal with traffic like when you go to the Rose Bowl, but like the Rose Bowl's also like set aside from the rest of Pasadena. You just kind of bank on it and you make a day of it and you hang out in Pasadena. Like, the Coliseum, if you're going to UCLA football game, like, it's not in the middle of USC's campus, it's outside of USC's campus. And if you park outside of the main lot, you can usually get on the road and get on your way uh, in, you know, semi-reasonable amount of time for Los Angeles. Um, Galen Center, nobody goes to UCLA, USC basketball games, but if you did, um, Galen Center is also situated close to the freeway, away from things that you could be able to get on the road potentially easily. Um, but UCLA, Pauley Pavilion is literally in the middle of like the goddamn quad. Um, it, it's really, really difficult to get to UCLA around rush hour, and it's very difficult to get out of there um, in, in a reasonable amount of time. So I, for people who are in LA, I'm not sharing any new information with you. Um, for those who are listening, let's see, most of you 
who are listening. Um, this is new information. That's why nobody goes to UCLA basketball games anymore, except for students, because it is too goddamn hard to get on and off uh, the campus area. Yes. So this has been this has been an impressive derailment because. Like, <laughs> We've actually had some like good basketball to talk about, and we ended up talking for what fifteen minutes about just the most random schools. That's fine. We actually did no, talk about I mean, SU basketball. It's, it's still early. <laughs> it is. It's very early. Um, whatever happens in this Kansas game is not going to change our season one way or another, um, unless we win. And then in that case, I'm going to go ahead and predict a Final Four, just like the rest of you. Yep. And then you know, hopefully it doesn't turn out like our last big win in the sport. Yeah, hooray. <laughs> I'm pretty. I feel more confident with the the Syracuse basketball program if they beat Kansas that it being a real thing. But we'd also know how to handle the success. Yeah, I mean we've been there before, right? Numerous times we've beaten Kansas before and stunning. We've beaten Kansas like all, like the last <laughs> however many times we've played twice. <laughs> I don't think Kansas has beaten us since like '01. Yeah, that was the last time because we beat Kansas twice when I was there. We beat them in the uh, Johnny Flynn game, uh, his sophomore year. Um, Paul Harris made play, and then Johnny hit the shot, I believe. Yep. And then we beat them the year after, I think. Eh, I don't know about that. Let me double check. I think we beat them in a neutral. I think we beat them the year after as well. I could be wrong. It says no. I think I'm missing them. I'm I'm missing of them in Florida. We beat Florida like three or four times, like in a short span. We beat Kansas just. I think that was the last time we played them, the Johnny Flynn game, right? Yep. We and then we beat them in the national championship, obviously. And then we lost them in '01, and then we beat them in '96. Yeah, I was, all right, so I was missing up Kansas and Florida. Florida, we played, like, a lot. Uh, my Basically, while I was there, I think we played three of my four years, and we beat them every time. Yeah, just needlessly. Although we I didn't, don't know why we kept on playing them. It didn't really make any sense. Well, we timed it well so that we didn't face, like, the championship teams. Yeah, no, we, it was, like, right after. <laughs> yeah, we uh, oddly, we faced Florida four times from 05 to 2011, including 08, 09, and 2011. Yep, so three times while I was there. And just once, and just once at home. Yeah, once was uh, once was at Florida, once was at home, and once was a neutral site in Florida. I think it was like in Miami. Yeah. So it was basically a Florida home game, except that we had a lot of fans there too, because we always do. We taken over. Um, all right. Now with that final derailment, <laughs> I think uh, an episode that I thought was actually going to end early ended up going about a full hour. Yep. Who knows how much uh, basketball talk we actually gave you, but uh, again, we'll, we'll probably have more to talk about after the Kansas team, because then we'll actually learn a lot. Um, Maryland game was fun. On Monday, uh, really enjoyed it. I'm pretty bullish. I'm, I'm growing. I was so cautiously optimistic heading into the year, and I don't want to like go like completely in the other direction. But I feel very good about the team. I I now expect that this is a tournament team based on what we've seen so far. But obviously, it's still very early. We've only played like one hugely you know prominent program, so we'll yeah. see. I, yeah, let's, let's let's keep the as, as Kevin said in his article today. Um, you know, we can be optimistic, but be like realistic about it. Yeah, I don't think we're not like the ACC on fire, but I wouldn't be surprised now if we're like, uh, you know, if we're the eighth best team in the ACC, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I don't know how much better than that will be, but that's a pretty good place to be for, you know, playing uh, almost an entire new rotation aside from two guys. Yeah, I'm down with that. Anyway, um, I hope everybody enjoys the Kansas game on Saturday. I may be watching with some alums, or I may just tether myself to my computer as per usual uh either way i'm sure it'll be kind of fun um but dan thank you as always for joining much obliged yep hopefully everyone uh goes and and tells us tell us about what random uh low major we should adopt and we can talk about them more than anyone wants to hear about yeah if you're uh if you're a fan of a low major school um along with syracuse or instead and we mean syracuse, low major not mid-major we don't yeah. want we're not rooting for for uconn no <laughs> not UConn or... similar mid-majors <laughs> We Xavier. want a low major. Yeah, we, we yeah we we want a team that really needs like that that you know everyone could like get behind if they go like nine and thirty three and then no nine and twenty three sorry and then One of those like, great sixteen seeds that you're yeah. like this is so dumb <laughs> yeah, like, like like this is the dumbest team like you know like a Lamar or like something like that like let's let, let's like names of people are always good to start with for, for a, a low major master, I think. Um, yeah, banana slugs, lancers seem fun for Linwood. Like, so let's let, let's go with one of those. Like, yep. g- give us your best, give us your best low major team that we need to really follow all season. 
we'll, we'll give we can give you a solid two minutes on on this stupid low major. We're not, we want to drive you crazy with a very obscure basketball team, and we want you to choose it. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's going to be the task now. Despite the fact that we're in the midst of uh, probably our biggest non-conference game in quite some time, um, it's cool. That's uh, you don't listen to this for entirely. Uh, analysis. I think there's a there's a decent amount of jokes and garbage that you would you would come to expect with this show. I would hope so. And if you're if, if it's your first time tuning in, we only mentioned Tulane a couple times. You're in for so much more when we get to the actual off season. <laughs> Boy, AAC football preview show coming at you in about seven months. Very excited. Anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.